Molly, thank you for that prayer. Church, I'm excited to share God's word with you today. I've got a question for you, though. How has this past week gone for you? Um, Did you make any New Year's resolutions? I'll be honest, for myself, I really struggled with the idea of making New Year's resolutions because last year, every single resolution that I made basically couldn't happen because of the pandemic. And so I'm a little bit gun-shy to make any commitments Uh, to make any resolutions because of the season, the unpredictability of it all. Uh, While I was thinking about that, I couldn't help but see the perfect connection between what we talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week with the story of Nehemiah. Um, So I felt this measure of comfort in knowing that for him, Nehemiah, he made this resolution to build the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, right? And so he decided to do that, but he had no idea what it would take, what the situation actually was. He was thousands of miles away, but he still decided to try. And so for me, 2021 isn't so much about succeeding in my resolutions, but about being willing to try, Make some choices, make some commitments, and just be willing to try. Put in the effort. So anyways, last week I shared a message about a simple pattern for kingdom work. And it's based on the actions of this ordinary guy named Nehemiah. And uh, we heard, he heard this message. It breaks his heart. It brings him to the Lord. He goes to a place of prayer. And out of this, he has this audacious faith. And he begins to take steps to see this good work, this kingdom work, take place. So I want to set this message up uh, with a simple question. When you look out into the world, what bothers you? What, What injustice just raises up this holy agitation, this frustration, What weighs on you? Um, It might be a need that you see. Uh, It might be somebody or a people group. And you just think to yourself, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to do something about this. And then you start to think, well, maybe that somebody is supposed to be me in some way. So for many of you, there is this divine disturbance, a holy frustration, an ache or a burden that upsets you on behalf of God. Well, I want you to hear this. That holy frustration that you feel often reveals the kingdom work that you are called to do. That holy frustration, that divine disturbance, often reveals the kingdom work that God is actually designing and desiring for you to participate in. So another way to think of it is whatever moves you to tears might actually be a window into your call. So we rarely see the path laid out for us. Um, I don't know about you, but for myself, I've struggled with this. I sometimes realize, do I have faith in God or do I have faith in a plan that God lays out for me? Does that make sense? That's a challenge. I prefer to have a plan, right? To have, to see where the steps are. God is calling us to take those steps with him. And so we rarely know when we say yes to God, what the end result is going to be. Um, But for those of us, for those of you who have said yes to the call of God to do a good work, to do kingdom work, you can testify that God makes and takes 
those small obedient steps, and he turns them into something for his glory, for his love, for his salvation, to make himself known among our people the, around this world. My dad, I love my dad, I love my family a lot, um, and in 2015, he saw something that disturbed him, a holy frustration, and my dad's an ordinary guy, like you, like me, uh, like Nehemiah, and something stirred deep within him. And so back in 2011, a little bit of context, so here's where the story starts, there was the Syrian refugee crisis. Things started to go so poorly in, uh, in the Near East, and things were unraveling, and there was persecution, there was uh, displacement, and there was the Syrian refugee crisis. And so it had been unfolding, it had been going on since 2011. And this crisis had this poignant um, moment. It was given this perfect expression in September of 2015. And I think some of you might remember this. There was this heart-rending photo of a, of a body of a Kurdish Syrian toddler. His name was Alan, washed up on the Greek shore. This image which captured the world's attention. The world noticed. Um, it was vividly fresh. It, and when my, like, it was, it's difficult to look at. And when my dad saw that photo, something changed. Something stirred deep within him. And he said, this is something I need to do something about. And so he started to pray. He started to talk, he started to work through things, and he made the decision to start the long, complicated path for, to um, have a Syrian refugee sponsorship take place in his church up at Southside Church of the Nazarene. His heart was grabbed by this moment. Are you bothered by something? Are you seeing a need? Are you frustrated? By something going on and then you're thinking okay what do I do what do I do with this holy frustration this d divine disturbance well let's dive into the story of Nehemiah and see what we can learn from him and how God works with him to see good work take place so a little bit of context I want to just jump back so if you weren't with us last week um, we were talking about this ordinary guy his name is Nehemiah and he uh, he is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. So when you go back even further, and the year is, um, let me read this correctly, is, is 587 BC. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he was this evil king, this Babylonian king, he attacks Jerusalem, and he completely destroys the city, the lifestyle, the culture, and he takes everybody out, and he, and he like destroys things, and then he exiles a huge group of people up into Babylon. Now, these Jewish people that are living in Babylon, that are living in exile, they now are living for generations, like decades, outside of their nation. And then the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonians, and then some of the Jewish people were finally released out of captivity and were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their homeland. So now here's some interesting new information I didn't share last week. Um, the book Ezra and Nehemiah, 
they were actually always seen as one narrative. It's only been in recent history, like our kind of Christian history, that they've been separated into two books. So these two books actually tell the story of three different leaders who received permission from the Persian king to reestablish three crucial elements of Israel. First, there was Zerubbabel. Um, so he took a large group back to rebuild the temple. And then, 50 or 60 years later, Ezra goes back to teach the Torah and to begin to rebuild the community. And then we have Nehemiah, who comes after all of that to rebuild the wall. So we have this interesting progression. Now, despite those initial two efforts, there's still no system. There's no government. There's no leadership. There's no direction. And most of all, there's no, really, there's no real hope. So after hearing this news, Nehemiah's heart is broken. He's broken, his, it's brokenhearted for the people, and he decides, this is the time I need to do something about this. Now I'm going to say this again, he was not a prophet, he was not a priest, he was not a prince, he wasn't a pastor, um, and he was not a building contractor either. He was the cupbearer to a king. And in other words, this guy didn't have any experience for the specific project that was on his heart. All he had was God-ordained passion. I feel like that might be speaking to some of you. There are some of you that are watching, listening right now. You don't have a position. You haven't been commissioned. You don't have any experience for the project that is on your heart. But what you do have is God-ordained passion. And let me tell you, that qualifies you to begin the good work, the kingdom work that God has for you. So if you were here with us last week, we saw that Nehemiah's heart was broken. And the first thing he did was he sat down and he cried. Then he wept. After weeping and mourning, he prayed. He fasted for quite a bit of time. And then after that time of prayer, he decided to act. He said, I've got to do something about it. It's got to be me. So how do you do the good work? How do you make the difference? And I want to give you four thoughts today. And let's get really practical. All right, we're not going to like talk high level stuff here. It's just going to be really practical. And we're praying. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to begin to think and get ready to do the kingdom work that you are being called to do. So the very first thing that we're going to do that we all need to do is we need to pray faithfully. We see this in the story instantly, that you've got to seek God faithfully. Again and again and again, we see in this story that Nehemiah goes to his Lord in prayer. Now, I mentioned this last week that um, it was in the month of Kislev when he first heard the news, and then it was four months later that he actually brings this news and starts to talk about it with the king. For those four months, he is in prayer, he is fasting, he is working through it. Now, why is he doing this? Because he knows that this ask, this kingdom work, it is bigger than him. It is so large that he needs to completely depend on the Lord. He can't just do this on his own. So he is being very careful to make sure that God is leading his steps because this is impossible. Because as you know, as we talked about last week, the cupbearer's job is to make sure that the king never experiences, experiences discomfort. You know, his only job was to take burdens off the king. Never, 
never to deliver any kind of news that was difficult. That is just not what you did. So for him to make the decision to go to his king with, with a disposition that was sad, huge risk. He describes it this way. Um, he says this um, in chapter 2. I had not been sad in the king's presence before. So the king, he notices, right? So he notices and then he asks Nehemiah, why does your face look sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. You can kind of see the intimacy, the closeness, the friendship almost between the king and Nehemiah, right? Um, they were close. And so he takes this chance. And in verse four, he says this. Nehemiah says to the king, uh, and then the king says to me, is what he says, um, what is it you want? And so he takes this moment. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. And then he goes and says what he needs to say. Now, this wasn't the only prayer, right? This was one of those like in the moment prayers. Um, during the pandemic, one of the things that I've actually really noticed is what connection and community and relationship looks like. Because it's been strained, right? It's been tested. And one of the things that I've learned is the challenge of staying connected with others. Now work with me on this one. So you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on something like that, and you see a photo of a friend and you have an option. You can hit like, right? You hit like and you're like, yay, thumbs up. There's a big difference between hitting like and then sending a text message and saying, hey, I noticed this, this is so great. And then there's one step further, there's a big difference between sending the odd text message and actually getting on the phone and calling someone or having a video call where you're actually engaging in conversation. And then one step further, there's a difference between being on video and going for a walk with someone. When I think about my own life with the Lord, and I challenge you to think about this, are you, where are you at in your interactions with the Lord? Do you just kind of like his posts? Do you send quick text messages to the Lord, but not really engage in a conversation? Are, are you actually going for walks? Are you actually taking the time to pray faithfully, to integrate a conversation with the Lord into your life? So Nehemiah has been doing this. He has been praying faithfully. And then he has this one moment and he sends a text message. Basically, it's like, Lord, please help. Be here with me right now. I need you. Friends, it is so important for us in this season to not just do those quick little text messages to God, but to actually spend some time and get into conversation with him. So this is something that uh, we see in the story. He is praying faithfully. And then out of that place, out of that time of prayer, is where he takes his next step. Um, so he cares about this. Um, and the Lord, I just want to say this to you, is he cares about the burdens that you're experiencing. He cares about this divine disturbance. And with God, with prayer, there's nothing is too small for God. And here's the other thing. If prayer isn't necessary for you to accomplish your vision, your plan, your desire, your work, then you aren't thinking big enough. Friends, it's not big enough if you don't need to pray. You, wanna, you want something so big, so full, so filled with faith that it's only the power of God 
that can actually finish this project. And here's the thing, that creates vulnerability, right? You need God to step in, not just doing it yourself. This is a challenge. And so for the first thing we, we need to do is we need to pray faithfully. Now, the second thing that we need to do is we need to define the vision clearly. Uh, define the vision clearly. Um, there's a leader. His name is Craig Rochelle. Um, he's a pastor, a ministry leader. Um, he has a podcast that I listen to often, and he said something powerful, and it really stuck with me. He said this, for most people, it's not a lack of caring that's your problem. It's a lack of clarity. Hmm. For most people, it's not a lack of caring that's the problem. It's your lack of clarity. It's not defining specifically what it is that you're actually called to do. Now, let's take a silly example. You get home, you're tired, and you want to watch something on Netflix or on TV or something like that. But you don't actually know what you want to watch. You just feel like watching something. What do you end up doing? You end up scrolling through and searching and being like, oh, comedy on oh, maybe this or that. And next thing you know, you've spent your evening trying to decide what to watch. Without that clarity, you don't actually end up enjoying what you planned to do. You wanted to relax and watch, you know, watch a TV show or watch a movie with somebody, right? Or by yourself. But because you didn't actually have a clarity on what you wanted, you ended up just kind of floating through and you end up not even watching something you want. Nehemiah has clarity. Um, watch what he says here. So he's now interacting with the king. The king is leaning in. The king is listening. So he says, I prayed to the God of heaven. So he's like, Lord, please be with me as I make this ask. And then I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors were buried so that I can rebuild it. So let me, let me just say this in, in a different way. It's very clear, very simple. He's saying, give me permission to go back so I can rebuild it. Done. No kind of waffling back and forth. It's clear. One sentence. Very crisp. Let me rebuild it. Now, you could have pictured it going some other way. You could picture it being like when the king actually says, okay, Nehemiah, what's going on? What's on your heart? What's the burden? What's going on? He could have, he could have gone something like this. He could have been like, well, you know, um, so I was chatting with my buddies and then we, I've got some news from one of my brothers and my brother said some bad things about where he lives, which is where I used to live or actually my, my ancestors used to live. And then I was thinking to myself, man, I love being a cupbearer, but I don't always want to be a cupbearer. I didn't see that in the future, my future. Um, I'd love to go traveling. I'd love to do some ministry somewhere. But I, uh, and he, what do you think? And then you could just picture the king sitting there being like, wait, what? What are you actually asking me? Like, you had this perfect moment and there's no clarity. It's like, well, so maybe, well, what, what if I went and just kind of did a little trip down, kind of saw some things. He's like, where? What? Like, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. And in this moment, when he was given that opportunity, Nehemiah said it simple and clear. Let me go and rebuild my homeland, Jerusalem. Done. And clearly, clearly there was more going on in this conversation. 
um, than just that. Because when you continue on, um, it says this, then the king with the queen sitting beside him um, asks me, well, how long uh, will your journey take? And when, when will you get back? And it, ple- um, and it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. So you could tell that there was added information, but whatever it was, it was clear enough that the king knew what was going on and was able to give him permission. For most of you, it's not, it's not that you don't care. The problem is, is that you lack clarity. You know, what do you want to do? What, what is that calling? What is that burden on your life? Maybe it's helping children. Okay, so helping children how? Which children? When? In what ways? What are the needs that need to be met? You know, maybe it's those who can't read or those who have been abused and we just kind of move back and forth and we don't land. And so God, God has a call on your life. The challenge is us working through the, the mix of it all, the cloud of it all, and getting clear. If you can't define it, right, if you can't define the vision, then you can't do it because we don't know where to go. So God has got a calling on your life. He's got this holy agitation that he's stirring up in your heart. Pray faithfully and then define the vision clearly. Maybe it's to lead your family to be totally debt-free by 2023, right? A clear plan. Or I'm going to have personal conversations at least once a month with a friend or a coworker about Jesus. Or I'm going to help these five boys that are in my small group overcome their porn addiction. I'm going to create um, a worship album that elevates God and expresses my heart and helps people kind of unlock some things that are in their hearts. And I'm going to do this in two years. Like if you can't define it, you can't do it. And if your vision isn't clear, then people don't know how to join in and support and follow you. So you got to pray faithfully, define the vision clearly. And then third thing that Nehemiah does that we need to do as well is we do need to plan carefully. See, watch how specific uh, and clear Nehemiah is. And then he says this in verse six. Then the, the king with his queen sitting beside him asks me, how long um, will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And then I also said to him, so he didn't just sit there. He's like, okay, I need to take this moment. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that I will be provided with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. Then may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Wow but so important. He's planning carefully. These might seem kind of arbitrary, but these were, these were important. So what he did right there was he got permission to have protection and provision. This is critical um, because he doesn't know what is in front of him. He can't plan everything out. So he's planning as carefully as he can those things that he knows he needs to do. So he asks for protection, he asks for provision, and he's very, very clear. He's like, I need this for my travel, and I need this to build. It's such a beautiful thing. It took so much courage for him to do. But you can see how important planning carefully is. 
Um, so you may, um, you may want to create a plan. You might want to um, define the vision clearly. Um, but here's the thing that I want to just kind of, in all of this, I just want to circle back because it's easy for us to start thinking, oh, I can't do that. I'm not a great planner. I don't, how do, what, what do I do with all of this? And kind of feel overwhelmed. Well, here's something. I would rather, I would rather you make a good plan today with passion and heart than a perfect plan months or years from now without passion. It is better for us to have a good plan that we begin to act out right now than for us to store it all up and try to have a perfect plan down the road. Down the, road. Um, the 12 steps traditions um, um, have helped thousands and thousands of people um, find freedom from a life trapped in addiction. And one of the things that they teach that has now become quite mainstream um, is a statement that I love and I've put this into practice in my own life as best as I can. And it's this, do the next right thing. Because a huge percentage of people suffering from addiction are also perfectionists. They, they want the perfect plan. They wanna do it so perfectly that when it doesn't go right, perfectly right, that it all kind of collapses and falls down around them. Don't wait for the perfect plan. Begin to make a good plan today and start today. Because if you go too big, it overwhelms. It's simply this, do the next right thing. Step by step, faithfulness by faithfulness. faithfulness. It's not about achieving some accomplishment that's way out there in the future. Does that make sense? It's not about that. It's about deciding to make a faithful step right now. Nehemiah, he sees his moment. He asks for provision and protection. And then we see once he actually gets to Jerusalem, he doesn't, again, he doesn't just crash forward and everything. He's like, I've got to take an assessment. I've got to figure out what is going actually on. So he quietly surveys the land, kind of figures things out, and then he does the next right thing. He does the next right thing and he so forth and so on. So my question for you, my question for me, for all of us is, what, what's the next right thing for you to do? Do you want to start that ministry? What's the next thing for you to do? Maybe you call that person up. You have that Zoom meeting. You take a, you take a tour or you start asking questions. What is that thing that you need to do today, tomorrow, to begin to do the kingdom work that you feel God might be calling you to do? You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have a perfect plan. Just have a good plan that you can start today with passion. Do that. I, I, I beg of us that we would choose to be a people that would be willing to begin to start taking those faithful steps forward in our lives. Pray faithfully throughout this whole thing. Define the vision clearly. Then you make plans carefully. And then number four, inspire others. Put passion into it and inspire others. Um, it's easy to hold on to our dreams. It's easy to keep our burdens and our passions private. Um, it's easy to not want to partner with people. I understand that. I get that. 
I know for some of you right now that you have a conviction, you have a, a holy frustration that you know you need to act on. But the idea of sharing that with someone is terrifying. Sharing a burden or a calling is deeply vulnerable. I'm not diminishing that. But here's a challenge. Kingdom work is not done in isolation. Ever. Kingdom work is not actually about you. If your ministry dream, if that passion, that burden, if it can't be shared with others, then it's possible that it's more about you than it is about the kingdom. I'm so sorry to say that. that that's like something I say to myself. I check in with myself. That if I can't share this, if I'm not willing to give pieces of the plan away, if I'm not willing to allow other people in and to share the story, maybe this is more about me than about the kingdom work. Whew, that's a tough one, but it's true. We have to be willing at some point within wisdom. And we see this in the story of Nehemiah. See, he gets to Jerusalem, right? He does this survey with a small group of people. And he chooses to not tell anyone until he's gotten some stuff figured out, except for a couple of people. And then, after that, he then begins to share. And so we see this in the story. Um, and this is the important part. So first of, all, first of all, we need to actually invite other people in. It's vulnerable, but we have to do it. God's work, kingdom work, is not done in isolation. Invite other people in. And then once we've invited other people in, Let's see what Nehemiah does. So he now, he's done an assessment. He's done the next right thing. And now he's taking this next step. He's surveyed the walls and the gates. And he's figured some things out. And I love this. He says this to them. Um, this is in verse 17. You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. What I like about this is that he's, he's actually being quite authentic. He's being pretty transparent. He's saying, you can see it, I can see it, we all can see it. This actually isn't a good situation. We are, in fact, in trouble. I love it. He's not an optimist. He's not saying, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it's not, this isn't a challenge. He's not sweeping things under the rug. He's saying it. He's like, this is not good. It's so easy for us as, as leaders, as people in ministry, um, or just doing our own lives, that we want to minimize how bad something is because we're afraid that that honesty is just going to demoralize people. But I want to encourage all of us to think that that's not the case. When we are honest, when we actually survey the situation, we say, this is how it really is, that clarity of where we actually stand is so important. The challenge is, is you know, a pessimist. You know, those of you that are like realists or pessimists, you're thinking, of course, we always have to do that. But here's the challenge. Here's the beauty. When it's connected with the word of God, when it's connected with God's divine burden and the presence of the Holy Spirit is a part of this, it's not just honesty, but it also has hope. I hope that makes sense. That with, when we have the eyes of faith that Nehemiah had, yeah, he can say, this is a desperate situation. And the reason he can be honest is because he's also able to say, but God is with us. God is going to do this. He's going to figure something out. This isn't just our plan. This is his plan, and we're a part of it. 
because this is what he says. After giving this bad news and having this honest moment, he says this, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and that and what the king had said to me. So he's actually giving them a glimpse saying, guys, I've made it all the way here. God's hand is already upon this project because of the provision and the protection, the blessing of this king. God is, is here. God is a part of this. Yes, this is a terrible situation, but God is here. We can do something. And it's in that moment that they are inspired. So they replied to him and said, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. We need to inspire people passionately. Um, there's a great line. So uh, John Wesley says this. It's so good. Um, Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come for miles to watch you burn. It's a bit morbid. It's a bit weird. I'm going to say it again, but it's good. I like it. Um, light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come for miles to watch you burn. Part of us doing the kingdom work that we are called to do is inviting others in, which is very vulnerable. And then when we invite others in, inspire them. Tap into that, that trust and faith and that prayer life that you've had with God and say, God is here with us. He's in it. He can do this. 2021, we can do this. this is, we can say that this is the year of the Lord. This is, some, this is a year where we can expect and plan for and work towards God's abundance and his faithfulness. Why? Because God cares. God loves us. It's not about us. It's about him. What do you care about? What breaks your heart? What is that holy frustration and that divine disturbance that you just can't keep it in and it starts to ooze out all over to other people? And not in that angry, frustrated way that turns people away, but with a passion that draws people in. We can rebuild. We can save our people. No longer in disgrace. This is possible and God's hand is with us. And then Nehemiah and those people around him say, yes, we can with God, this actually is possible. What burdens you? And I want to say this. It's not just what breaks your heart, but it's also what grabs your heart. Because I want to be clear that life is not just about solving problems and mending brokenness, though that is a huge part of kingdom work. But it's also about drawing eyes to the Lamb of God. It's about drawing people's attention away from a problem to the glory and goodness of God, where people are inspired and their problems diminish because they are in the presence of our Heavenly Father. What do you care about? What is the burden? I don't believe it's by accident that you have these convictions. What if God has entrusted those feelings, those tears, that passion to you because you're a part of this kingdom work? And are you thinking, I'm just an ordinary person, like, I'm, I can't do this. If you don't feel qualified, that's perfect. If you don't feel prepared, that's okay. Because you are the perfect type of person that our God loves to use. My dad, he, he's not a lawyer. He wasn't, he's not a social activist. He didn't. He didn't understand actually the first thing about what it means for um, like Syrian sponsorship, a refugee sponsorship. 
but he had a divine burden. And then God began to orchestrate divine moment after divine moment. He meets this other person at his church who gives a huge sum of money to be able to get the thing started. He begins to have a conversation with a pastor who surprisingly has connections with um, the Nazarene church um, or in the, in the Middle East and, and then other denominations that can help the Nazarene church make these connections. And one thing leads to another. This family, this large family, this intergenerational family um, of maybe seven, I could be wrong. You can always ask my dad. Um, they're here now. They've made it. And it's so beautiful. Like they, they love my dad and he's basically adopted them into his family. And it's this, it's this beautiful, long, wonderful kingdom work that started with an ordinary guy who saw the plight of a people that were hurting, decided enough is enough. He cried, he prayed, and he began to act. And then he just did the next right thing. And through it all, he, he had the clarity, he had the vision, he inspired other people to join him. And now we have a family, a Syrian family, that's living up in Edmonton here. Out of, um, out of uh, conflict, out, out of persecution. So how do you make a difference? How do you do kingdom work? Pray faithfully. Define the vision clearly. And if you need help doing that, talk to someone. Say, help me, help me make this clear. Make plans carefully and then inspire people passionately. Let me pray for our new year. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to speak to us. Convict us. Show us what it is that we can be up to. We need you in this year. And you have plans for this year that are bigger than all of us combined. And we need to get on our knees and we need to pray and we need to trust you because we want to be a people of the kingdom. We want to be kingdom workers. We want to do a good work that you are setting in motion. Help us get there. Help us in all of this. And Lord, I know that there are some of us here that have a conviction to do something, to begin this kingdom work. I ask that you, Holy Spirit, just give them that little push, that extra emphasis to just start, and that it not be a perfect plan, but it be a good one that they can start today. Jesus, we love you. We are so thankful. We are so thankful that we get to journey with you. And Lord, I just pray right now for those of us, for those of you that are listening in, that if they don't know you, Jesus, that they would make the decision right now to turn to you. Maybe it's been years since they've had a passion for some good work and something stirring in their lives. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to them right now. Remind them of your deep love. Remind them of your forgiveness. Remind them of what is available when we say yes to Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him. Lord, I love you. We love you. And we ask that you would guide us into this new year, that we could be realists, we could be honest, but that we can have hope because you are good and you care about your people. We love you. Amen. Friends, thank you. It's been an honor and a privilege. Bye for now.